0: I get out for six months and I go back in and do a nine piece in which I had to do seven years, eight months.
1: So 12 total. How do you get the nine piece?
0: I accidentally hit a cop with um, a car during a high speed chase. Wait, what? Yeah, I accidentally hit a. uh, Shout out to all law enforcement officers. It wasn't intentional.
1: You got to share this story. (laughs) On today's episode, I'm excited to have Stephen Testa, better known as E.I. the King, as my guest. Stephen will enlighten us about his adventurous past marked by a penchant for high-speed pursuits and police chases. He'll delve into the circumstances that led to his imprisonment, offering a firsthand account of life behind bars, including his experiences with the infamous booty bandits and snipers in prison. Get ready for an eye-opening look into the world few have witnessed from the inside. If you enjoy the Locked In podcast, remember to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the Ian Bick YouTube channel. Now let's sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in. With EI the king. How, how do you get the nickname EI?
0: Uh, it stands for Eternal Influence. It's oh, like my rap name. I like yeah, that. Yeah, EI the king, but just EI for short.
1: Yeah, I saw the that, That's what I. We talked on uh, Instagram, right? Uh-huh. First, that's yeah, where I connected with you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sometimes people like fill out the form online and they have to like bump it up by like. Mm. I try to go through as like many of my Instagram messages as possible. Uh-huh. But sometimes like there gets to be so many and this yeah. and that. I feel bad when I don't respond to people too. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I'm working on it.
0: That's real though.
1: But uh. Yeah, thank you so much, man, for coming out today. Um, You had a long journey to to get here, man. Of
0: course. Where'd you come from? I came from Tampa, Tampa, Florida.
1: Tampa, shout out to Tampa. Yeah, shout out
0: to (laughs) Florida, man. Yes, sir.
1: (laughs) Did you grow up in uh, Tampa?
0: No, I'm originally from Houston, man. Um, But I mean, I was raised in Florida, Sarasota County. So I think my mom divorced my father when I was three and then took us to uh, Florida. So I grew up in Florida.
1: I went to Houston for the first time, this time last year, Mm -hmm. and I loved it. But I like Austin more, yeah. but Houston was fun.
0: Yeah, Austin's dope too, but I just love Houston though. Okay. I'm there every month. I record in Houston music, so okay. I'm there all the time.
1: It's a different kind of vibe in Houston. It's not as like crazy as uh-huh. uh, Austin, I guess. It's uh-huh. more laid back.
0: Nah, I would say the other way around.
1: Oh, it's crazy in yeah, Houston? Yeah, yeah,
0: Houston's lit. Yeah, Houston's crazy.
1: I guess where I went, it wasn't like all like compacted, like city-like. I forgot. Mm-hmm. What's a f- the famous area in Houston? Um, no, I'm not good about cities or anything. Uh, I don't know what you're
0: talking about as far as like downtown in yeah, Houston? yeah yeah um I don't even know,
1: yeah, it was like where all the airbnbs are, like kind of like outside the city a little bit.
0: Uh I don't know.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But anyways, man, yeah, thank you for coming, man. It, it, it's a pleasure. Um, I think the audience is gonna be excited to see all like the knickknacks you brought on. It's gonna yeah. be a very uh, special show. Yes, sir. Um and excited to jump into it. Of course. Um and I, I think you had something yeah, for yeah. for us you want to get into. <laughs> yeah, I was
0: just telling you, bro, because uh, of course, you know, I want to share my experience in prison, you know, and all my prison stories. But it's kinda hard for me to do that unless I like tap in or lock in, you know what I mean, from my prison experience. And yeah. part of the way that I do that is uh i gotta throw on the uniform dog you know so if you don't mind you know we can go ahead and uh put on our florida chain game blues real quick all right
1: what do you steal them out of the prison man i can't <laughs> i can't give you details how i got them but i got them bro what do we got oh I, man brought the whole outfit man these are florida oh florida it's, chain it's game just blues, a one right? piece right oh. man i feel like a uh what is it like a dental hygienist or a, <laughs> like the scrubs, or a doctor from, right now, you
0: know, RN or something?
1: Hey uh, Skyler, how do I look out there? The Angle still good. I got my brother working for us today. It's his first day on the job, oh, so there you go. hopefully he doesn't screw up and yeah. uh, get himself fired. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, what's the impact for this for you? Why why these?
0: Yeah, the reason, because, you know, I got my own podcast, whatever, and I tell prison stories. What's and the name? You got to plug it. What's the yeah, name of Yeah, of course, it? man. It's called The Incarceration Podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, i just talk about how prison forever changed my life. You know, like, as far as my experience, you know, in the past, the present today, and then as far as, like, in the future. You know, just how, throughout all the years of me being incarcerated, over 12 years, being institutionalized at a young age, juvenile programs, juvenile detention, and then, of course, adult prison for 12 years, how that, you know, radically transformed my life. You know, so whenever I put these on and I keep my ID, my Florida DC card in my wallet at all times, and I do it to champion what I experienced because ultimately the Lord transformed my life while I was incarcerated. But it's something that I will never forget and I purposely will never forget. It's my why and the reason why I do everything that I do.
1: That's awesome, man. People busting my chops all the time for carrying around that card because I have the federal inmate one, the red one. I had it in my wallet for a while. I had it in my car and then now it's in my office wall. Um, some people don't understand unless they've yeah, been there you know it, it's it's symbolic i'm yeah. never getting rid of that thing exactly uh even though it says i'm like 62 on it which all my friends <laughs> know is the biggest <laughs> crock of shit yeah i'm 5'11 you know yeah, you got to round up yeah um so yeah i Tell us about where you came from, like, uh, your early roots, where, where, uh, like, what was childhood like for you?
0: Yeah, of course, man. I think a lot of people, they can look at me, they see me tatted with braids, and I'm a rapper, and I'm kind of, like, gangstified, whatever, (laughs) all the years in prison. People would automatically assume that I come from, like, poverty-stricken community. I come from the hood, and that's not the truth at all. You know, we you know, we're lower middle class, but Sarasota County in Florida is one of the richest counties in Florida. In the city that I grew, up in, I grew up in, in Sarasota County, is Venice. So this is like retirement village, nothing but old white people. You know, so I was brought up, you know, in the burbs, and uh, I was an athlete the majority of my childhood. Father wasn't in the home. I found my identity, my purpose, and my belonging on the football field. Uh, Long story short, just because my pops wasn't in the home looking for like affirmation and acceptance from older men and my homeboy's older brother was a big dope boy. He come to the football games with a mouthful of golds and chains on. I was a leader of the football team, captain of the team. So I was naturally a leader, but I seen the leadership that he had in the streets and how everybody looked to him. And it was cool to me. You know, what I mean, it was like attractive. And of course, with hip hop culture And uh, long story short, around 13, you know, I started smoking weed, drinking, fighting a lot. Shortest kid on the football team, shortest kid in every grade, hit puberty late, short man complex. Felt like I had to prove my point to everybody. Um, Not only was I fighting a lot, but when I started smoking weed, I realized that I could actually smoke for free if I sold it. Then I realized not only could I get weed for free, but I could make money. And then I realized I could also be a leader in the streets. And that began to like slowly, well not slowly, but quickly lead me to spiral out of control. Fighting a lot, getting expelled from high school to high school, going to juvenile programs, juvenile detention, and just getting institutionalized at a young age and of course, selling marijuana, immediately switched to selling pills and cocaine and crack and just hanging out with a whole bunch of older OGs in the streets. And I'm super young, but to me I'm finding and I'm looking and I'm searching for my validation and my fulfillment in the streets and of course, because I'm ineligible from school, getting expelled, I can't play football. That was my new purpose, was a street lifestyle and just spiraling out of control.
1: Do you think if you had that feeling of like acceptance and whatnot and maybe even popularity or you got that mm-hmm. attention, you wouldn't have traveled down that path? I mean,
0: I was I was super popular in school. I was, you know, captain of the team, I was a star like Jock when I was younger. I think, you know, when you're a kid, you're not consciously aware of like how you feel inside. You're just like a broke, hurt kid. and You don't know why you're acting out. You don't know what you're really looking for. Looking back now, as a mature man, healing and like progressing past that, I can look back and analyze it correctly. But then, as a kid, I didn't know. I was just a hurt kid. And I think it was really just you know just me looking for you know validation from probably like older men because i was looking for like a father figure so i look up to like the dope boys and i didn't have to you know i mean i put myself in that i thought it was cool because it was glorified from hip-hop culture and i thought my cousins, like my homies cousins and my dog's older brother i thought they were the coolest people i knew because they were older and they were getting money and it look flashly you know what i mean so i think i was just attracted to it and i willfully you know chose that route
1: and i think that's totally normal too because a lot of adults don't even know how they were feeling as a kid. And they don't Mm -hmm. even face that until they're older. Yeah. Because when they act a certain way in their relationships or their friendships now and they're like, oh, that's triggered by something from my childhood, that's when we're diving into it. Yeah. Uh, That's what you kind of see all the time. That's what like when you go see a therapist or whatnot, they're trying to dig out what affected you in your childhood. Yeah. And I think that's important element to the stories that we share on this because you were for the most part, a, a normal kid. Yeah. Like however people came to judge you later on, that wasn't you mm-hmm. in the beginning. That's like ground zero, that's your starting point. Yeah. If we had like your best friend with you today yeah. here at the studio, what would he say about you? What are like three traits or, or four traits he would say about you? Uh,
0: number one, he would say I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm a lunatic, man. Even now, I still do a good outside of the streets. I'm still crazy, I'm a goofball. Uh, but especially back then, I was wild. I just didn't care. But ultimately, it's because I didn't care about myself. You know what I mean? I realized that again now. I didn't care then because I didn't care about myself. So I was just throwing everything away. So he would say I was crazy. Um, He would say that I'm a visionary. I'm a go-getter. I'm a hustler. I was a dope boy then. And now even though I don't hustle illegally, now I still hustle legally. So I'm a go-getter. I'm a visionary. I chase. I run down what God bursts in me for vision. I don't stop. I'm consistent. I think I'm the hardest worker I personally know. And I think my best friend would say that about me too. Um, also too, as far as most importantly, you know, the faith aspect of my life, that I'm a Jesus freak. You know what I mean? I'm obsessed with Jesus, God transformed my life. And not only do I radically pursue Jesus, but God uses me to now reach the streets with the gospel. So I'm missional. You know what I mean? I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, um street pastor, you know. So uh and then maybe lastly, um weird, I'm a weirdo.
1: <laughs> We're all weird in yeah. we our own ways. <laughs> so yeah. Do you think if you had that passion for your faith back then, it would be different? Like you were, it seems like maybe before you were chasing something different. Now mm-hmm. you, you have something good to chase, which I relate to in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. I believe in what I believe in. And I am very like spiritual and like, I believe everything happens for a reason and whatnot. And I chase after that. And I live by that. S- so is that something similar to you?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say it would probably prevented me. Uh, but I tell people all the time, like, cause I go into prisons now, I go to prisons throughout the nation and I speak, I preach and teach and perform and all of that. So, one thing that we always champion in our ministry, block us when we go back into prisons, we tell like the dope boys, like, yo, that's a God given gift. We just pervert it in the streets. So, I think likewise with myself, like the hustle ambition, the being wild and crazy, robbing people, kicking in doors, whatever, those are like courageous gifts that God gives us naturally, but we just pervert it in the street. So, yeah, definitely when God began to transform my life and I discovered my purpose, that became my driving force in life. So I think before that, there was, like, a driving force based upon the God-given gifts, but there was no, like, end aim. I didn't know what I was chasing. I was chasing street fantasies, and it did nothing but lead to destruction. I was chasing the wrong thing. The driving force was towards the wrong direction.
1: What do you think would have been, like, a great program that could have had to offer you at school? that kind of like kept you on track. Because we have a lot of like teachers and and therapists and Mm. professionals that watch the show, probation officers. And that's what they're curious about. They want to know what what they could do to to, to change someone's life.
0: Of course, a a principle in ministry is called native on native. That's the best like effective ministry. And what they mean by that is like, for instance, prison ministry. The best prison ministry hands down is convict on convict and not a convict from the outside but inmate-led ministry because they live together. That's the most impactful ministry is like the inmate organic-led church inside prison. But also the ministries coming in, the most effective normally are the fellow convicts when we come in so I feel like the best programs that schools or prisons or jails could offer is to find these youth these young boys or girls who are starting to like get like distracted with street lifestyle whatever it would be is to find men and women who they can look up to that they can identify with who's been there they're not going to listen to some teacher who ain't never been where they've been at you know what I mean they need to look up to people who look like them who've gone through what they've been through and people who they can actually look up to and kind of idolize and they'll be able to walk alongside them in my life and mentor them. I think that's the biggest thing, man, is mentorship. Actually investing time with people, I pouring ag- into them.
1: I agree. And it's the lived experience aspect, which is why I think I find myself in such a unique position. Because it's not every day you have a podcaster that... Is able to build a platform where the host is someone that has been to prison, and I'm yeah. sure you could relate to that because you have your own podcast too. Yeah. But there's very few of us in the in the world that are like that that have yeah. these platforms that are sending a positive message. I'm not talking about the platforms where it's like you go on and it's just like glorifying, yeah. yeah, crazy stuff. I mean, we, we've been talking, you know, like almost twenty minutes in it. We haven't even gotten into the prison stuff. Yeah. So I think. Um, there's a power in that and I'm as I get older and as I continue this journey, I'm kind of learning how to to harness that and, and realize like that there's a voice to be used here for a lot of good. And I think for that's sure. what keeps me going too.
0: For sure, bro. Shout out to all the convicts out there who are doing right <laughs> with their platform, man. I love Forever that convict. Man. That's the brand. Forever Convict, bro. We champion where we came from. Oh,
1: that's your uh, t-shirt? Yes, yeah, sir. That's you a brand. You gotta one of those. Yeah, I'll, I'll rock it on the show. Forever Convict, man.
0: <laughs> we champion where God delivers and transformed our life at.
1: Cool. And for we'll plug you at the end of the episode, too. But yeah. for people listening, you know, we'll have, like, your link in, in the description and everything and whatnot to your podcast, your website, your social media, all Course. that. Of so, where did things start to take a turn for the worst? Because it's not the mm. end of the world to sell some weed. It doesn't sound like mm. you were like a kingpin at that age no, either, no, right? No, yeah, no, you were just no. a, a typical person. Yeah. Well, how, if, I mean, first of all, how normal was it to sell weed back then? What time period? Are yeah, we talking so I was about?
0: probably 13, 14, so that I, I'm 20, I'm thirty 33. So that I had to be like 03, 04. It was really like the summer break between like ninth grade to high school, well, excuse me, eighth grade to ninth grade you know, middle school to high school is really when things started spiraling. So, um, I mean, of course it was common, you know what I mean? Um, But I think that I immediately started selling like pills, like Adderall, Xanax, and then cocaine, especially crack at a young age. You know what I mean? I remember taking the bus to the hood in my city and I'm like at the trap or on the block with these, older dope boys who are in their late 20s, you know, young 30s, or some of these guys who are 40 years old, and I'm a little white boy from the suburbs, you know what I mean, who's forcing myself into this environment. And I already knew like everybody my age like from the hood, so people already knew who I was. But I was intentionally like positioning myself in like the worst possible circumstance in life. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to be a dope boy. Scarface became my favorite movie. Whatever, like I think a lot of comics, we have like a no, we have like a balance problem. We don't understand moderation. We're either all the way in or all the way out. You know, so I was all the way in the streets. You know, I wanted to be, you know, Scarface. I wanted to get as much cocaine and crack I could. So I'm selling dope. You got a young age on the corner in the hood, you know, serving cars coming through and trying to buy large amounts of cocaine and figure out how to cook it. You know what I mean? So, anyways. Uh, I was never the big kingpin, never, you know what I mean? That was always the dream, you know what I mean? Around like 16, 17, I buy like ounces of cocaine and things like that and you know, get it cooked up and you know sell crack. And once again too, Sarasota is one of the richest counties in Florida. So we didn't like petty hustle, you know what I mean? Everyone's chasing money, like money, money. You know, most of the clientele, they spend a lot of money. You know, they're business owners or you know they're addicts, but most of these are, like clientele that we had, you know, they're functioning addicts and they're spending a lot of money. Got your happy price, price line. Um, Like I said, I got expelled from school for fighting. And then whenever I was ineligible from football and I lost my purpose, I forfeited it because of me being in the streets and not having good grades, is I didn't have an outlet anymore. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have an identity. So, you know, my full new identity was, you know, the streets. And that's when I just started caring, you know. And I, re- I remember, like, being in my first juvenile program, and it was like a six-month program is based upon points. I kept failing every week just because I'm being crazy, cussing out the police and fighting and getting in trouble. And you, we had to go to counseling every week. And I remember the counselor sat down with me at one session. I never talked. I'm a hot-headed jit, not friendly. I'd sit there with a little Etch-A-Sketch and want to say nothing because you mandatory have to do it once a week. And I remember I had to start over this, six, this six-month program and I'm already at my fifth month and because I kept fighting. He told me like, I had to start it over. And he was like, Steven, he's like, why do you keep fighting? i never forget. And I remember looking at him with tears in my eyes. I'm like, bro, I don't care. I don't give an F about anything. And I genuinely meant that. He knew I played football. He said, well, listen, the football you give football your A game. Why are you giving life your F game? And I didn't say anything, but I remember going back to, like, my room in that program and something began to turn, like, that I think I really began to, like, become aware that I didn't care about myself and I was throwing my life away. And, of course, I didn't change routes. I just kept spiraling. You know?
1: Yeah. Do you think that if you were given a second chance at football, it, it would have been different for you? Could you have avoided prison, uh, or were you destined to to go down that path regardless? Honestly,
0: I probably like even if they would let me play football, it probably would have helped maybe detour the the intensity of how fast I spiraled. Because you know, I went to prison at eighteen. My graduating class was walking, getting their high school diplomas. I'm walking down prison hallways. You know what I mean? Getting my GED. Uh, I think it probably would have slowed it down, but I, I was going to prison, bro. I already I wanted the streets. I wanted that lifestyle. That yeah. was inevitable for me. My mom called me on my 18th birthday. She said, just so you know, I'm not going to bond you out. I'm like, dang, mom, that's my birthday. She's like, I'm just letting you know, you're going to go to jail. You're not a kid anymore. You're going to go to the adult county jail, and I'm not going to bond you out. Yeah, 18th boy, birthday. Boy. Shout out mom. She's been riding with me forever. I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: a phone call. Now, you use the word jit camp, and that's something 1090 Jake said all the time yeah, on it. Yeah. And that's a, I'm guessing a Florida thing. Florida thing. Yeah. What's a jit camp? I never got to ask him about it, but yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here like, what the fuck? He keeps saying jit like a yeah, thousand times. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Shout out to 1090 man, but <laughs> not for the convicts and especially the Florida prison system. Uh, so in Florida, they have what is called jit camp. It stands. It's, stand, it's, it's you no know, jit's like a Florida uh, slang, but in the Florida criminal justice system, they have a youth offender program to where when people go to prison for their first time and I think if they're under the age of 25 rather than going to an adult prison they can go to a youthful offender prison which is still adult prison but it's 25 and under and they do that to protect the youth from like the the booty bandits, you know what I mean? Like these old school convicts who've been taking booty they whole bit, you know, so they do that to protect them. But in all actuality, JIT camps are way worse. You know, it's gladiator school. That's the nickname for it. So you can either get sentenced to a youthful offender at prison from the judge, which normally you can get like, I think uh, you can get a lesser sentence. That's normally like a route to kind of take a plea and kind of get spared from the court. Um or the, even if you don't get sentenced as a youthful offender. Like, I didn't get sentenced as a youthful offender. I took an adult plea. I'm like, I don't want to go to JIT camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to go to the adult side. But even though I didn't get sentenced as a youthful offender, the state, Florida Department of Corrections, classified me as a wild because I was 18. Mm-hmm. So, right when you go to Orlando, they say, here you go, he's a red hat. JIT. Going did, to JIT camp. Did
1: you experience any uh, booty bandit scenarios?
0: Oh, yeah. not at JIT camp, nah. Um, I had maybe some... Uh, Some like awkward moments I was a confinement orderly Normally like in prison Especially in Florida Department of Corrections Whenever you start doing things On your jacket They They have you keep doing that So I was always A confinement orderly So I went to prison three times First time at 18 Third time by the time I was 23 So every time I go to prison Because they always seen On my jacket I was a confinement orderly So I think I just remember One time Obviously, whenever you grow up in the prison system, you know, there's booty bandits. So being a young white boy, you got to have like a unit on your face. You know what I mean? You got it. Because if you look scared and if you look weak, I man, people are going to prey on that. You're shark bait. You know, so I think, you know, above all being a young, but once again, too, I lived a street lifestyle. So I was, of course, internally. Yeah, I'm terrified, scared. You know what I mean? But you just got to, you know, kind of put the mask on. Uh, But like I said The confinement story I think the one moment I can really remember Being tried I'm passing out trays You know Because a confinement orderly, You go to their cell You know In confinement And you you put the trays In their flap And uh, I forget what he said He said something He's like Ooh you know, some old school black dude, you know, he's like, "Ooh, white boy, white boy, you know, saying something crazy. So I kind of ignored it at first when I hand him the tray. But while I'm walking down the hallway, I still hear him saying something about like how fine I am and those red lips or something. <laughs> so I remember after I'm done passing out trays and I made sure the officer went at the officer station, I pulled back up on the door and I banged on the glass. of said, come here, bro. I said, don't ever disrespect me like that again in life, bro. Don't ever. He's like, all right, my bad, respect, respect. And because you, you got to do that, you know what I mean? Because if you don't say anything, even though he's in confinement, he's behind a door, still you got to have that, you got to operate like that in prison. Man. You know what I mean? Even if I wasn't on that in prison, God transformed my life in chain Chang'an. I was doing ministry work. <laughs> but still, you got to conduct yourself like in an assertive way. You can't let nobody disrespect you.
1: So you know? a confinement orderly doesn't they have a lot of position of power because you're like the middleman to get notes to people. Of course, they're shooting kites. Yeah, they're shooting kites. Yeah. There, and for anyone that doesn't know, a kite is like a message, uh-huh. um, contraband, I guess. Uh-huh. If you have to, what, yeah. what are some situations you've been in as that?
0: Yeah, honestly, too, bro. Um, I used to face con- I used to face conflict for not shooting kites. You know what I Because mean? once again, like I was sharing with you before, while I was incarcerated, I encountered Jesus for real, and he completely transformed my life. So I'm t- I'm trying to do right in the sight of the Lord. So the best what the best thing that I would do for the guys locked up, because of course you feel for them, boys. I man I've been in confinement, I done three months before behind the wall. You already know how it is. It sucks. So what I would do, I try to look out for everybody by passing out extra trades for free. You know what I mean? Because I'd be blessed. I have money on my books. That's a hustle as a can- as a confinement orderly. You sell trays. You know what I mean? For stamps or for hygiene or whatever. So I'm just blessing them boys. I'd take like one day I'd switch each cell door and i just give just random trays and i try to keep it even because i go to each door the next day. Um, but yeah, some guys would get obsessed with, upset with me because I wouldn't take kites back there. But for the most part, whatever pound I was on, like I had a reputation. Everybody knew who I was. I wasn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't wilding out, gang banging, living some savage lifestyle. I was authentically following Jesus, and it was real. And people knew that. And if anything, I ministered more to the gangbangers. And I had relationships more with the guys who were the violent ones on the compound, so everybody knew how I was living. But there were times, especially when I was younger, to where people would get pissed I wouldn't bring back kites or whatever. But the worst position than that, I was a butcher man.
1: A butcher for, in prison?
0: Yeah, well, really? they not yeah. really don't give you knives. They okay. just call it the butcher man in food service because you're in the freezer, and you have like all the hamburgers, all the chicken, and all that. So uh, that was a more conflicting situation than anything. you probably
1: probably it bank.
0: <laughs> well, that's where everybody wants to steal at, you know what I mean? So uh, mm-hmm. if anything... While, like I said, I was trying to do righteousness in the sight of God. I didn't want to steal. I didn't want to like, you know what I mean, help people by stealing. So I had to stand in the pain as far as like standing on righteousness and doing right. And that's where I actually learned to become assertive for doing good. You know what
1: I mean? So. I mean, I've always wondered, is it technically stealing if you're taking that food that's in like the prison kitchen that you're literally getting paid, yeah. sent to work at? Yeah, like, being no. in prison is one thing, but they're not even paying you a, a fair wage. No, you know? not, at all.
0: not even in, not in uh, Florida. You don't get paid
1: at all. You don't get paid at all? No,
0: unless you're a canteen man or a shoeshine guy.
1: Yeah. So, I, I don't know if that's technically—I guess it goes on both ends. I feel like maybe it's stealing if you're taking away from another inmate, but mm-hmm. a lot of the times they're just giving tiny-ass portions. and. yeah. yeah. It's not like you're taking food out of the mouth of another inmate at all.
0: Of course. Yeah, but what I mean by that, though, is they're trying to take, like, cases upon cases. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I eat as much as I want. Everybody does back there, you know, but they're just trying to, like—they're trying to steal the whole freezer.
1: I remember guys walking out with raw meat, like a brick of raw (laughs) hamburger meat or something. Guys would throw that in the microwave. Yeah. So, 18, you go in, and then you go in again Mm. uh, between 18 and 23. Yeah. These are just, like, short sentences, right? Yeah,
0: the first bid I did two and a half years from 18 to— 20, two and a half years. I get out. I was only out for eight months. I went back in and did another two years. I get out for six months and I go back in and do a nine piece, in which I had to do seven years, at eight months. So do, 12 total.
1: How do you get the nine piece?
0: I accidentally hit a cop with um, a car during a high-speed chase. Wait, What? Yeah, I accidentally hit a uh, shout out to all law enforcement officers. It wasn't intentional.
1: You got to share this story. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> Give remind us the whole remind it. me to tell you too how I got handcuffed out here this time, and I felt like it was a redemptive moment for me to be able to like show love to the police. Okay. <laughs> so, um. So for the first time in my life, I get out of prison the second time, and bro, I'm genuinely trying to follow Jesus and do right. Um. So I'm not in the streets. I refuse to sell drugs. I'm trying to be a father to my kids and do right. So I'm actually for the first time in my life working a job. I'm roofing. Um and I'm going to church. I'm not really involved in ministry. But I think something I missed out on because I grew up like in prison and like juvenile programs, I never really experienced a nightlife. I've been to a club and strip clubs a few times, but I was more trapping and getting money than anything while I was out. So I never really experienced a nightlife. So a lot of my homies who I grew up playing football with, they went to college and they came back to the city and they're like ex-frat boys. So they go out all the time and drink. So rather than hanging out with my homies who are in the streets, I try to switch my, you know, peer group again and start hanging out with my, my my dogs were to play football with because they're not industry selling drugs so now because i'm hanging out with them now i start going out with them on the weekend so now i'm going to clubs and bars all the time so long story short you know just me being a fighter and being aggressive naturally uh, even though i wasn't living that lifestyle anymore while drinking it would be common to where sometimes i get in fights or altercations at bars and clubs so this particular night i get in a fight in the club i get kicked out of the club and then keep in mind now, to this day, I have no memory of this night. This is just what I know from my paperwork and from what people told me. Only brief flashes. So I get in a fight in the parking lot and knock out a guy. He's left unconscious. While I'm leaving the scene, this is what my paperwork says, while I'm leaving the scene in my vehicle, the police officer standing in the road screaming for me to get out of my vehicle. I won't move. He says, I rev the engine. He draws out his firearm, and then I floor it, and then I hit him. He rolls on top of the car. It's supposedly trying to, like, aim his firearm within the windshield, and then I throw him off the vehicle by turning the wheel. I try to hit another police officer and then put him on a high-speed chase. And in Sarasota, Florida, there's what is called Royal Palms. They're, like, two stories high, and they're, like, palm trees. Then they're, like, this thick. So I de two of them because I was going like 90, 100 something in a Nissan Altima 2009. de two of them. My seatbelt snaps. Airbag doesn't deploy. ejected from the windshield, however many yards. Femur snaps through my thigh, and I get a they flight to the hospital.
1: You got ejected through the windshield? Yeah. Holy so shit. So
0: because of the car accident, I don't remember anything. I wake up in the hospital. By the way, none of that happened. I barely nipped the officer's leg with the vehicle. That's what from people who were there that night on the strip scene. And like, that's what I heard, you know, but to this day, I have no recollection of that entire night. I have brief flashes throughout the years of incarceration. I would have dreams of brief flashes of like the accident and things like that because I guess I lost my memory from the accident.
1: So you're saying the report is different from (laughs) eyewitness accounts? Yeah, of course. What do you believe?
0: I don't believe I would never gun him down intentionally. I believe that he walked in front of the vehicle and I didn't see him and I accidentally hit him. He didn't even get hurt. He had minor abrasions to his leg.
1: Even under the use of substances, you don't think you would have done that?
0: Nah, I've always been crazy, but I had no reason to, bro. I mean, it'd be different. I went to prison the second time for a high speed chase. And I know I'd do that because I had a whole bunch of dope in the car. You know what I mean? So I had to get rid of the dope. Well, so allegedly, so, you know. What this I mean? so, is
1: your second high speed chase.
0: Yeah, I've been in. I've probably been in three or four.
1: You're the high speed chase guy.
0: I was known for that. I had a car full of dope. They wasn't. They wouldn't get the dope, but they would eventually catch me. You know.
1: In Florida, are they allowed to continue the chase? Like I know up here, they have mm-hmm. to stop after I think a certain. They can't pursue you.
0: I've never had them stop chasing me.
1: So they continue to chase you.
0: Yeah. Where they throw well, a spikes? Well no, because remember I hit the I hit the palm trees.
1: No, I'm saying the first the second time. time. Oh, the yeah. second the
0: second time I went to prison. Yeah. Um no, I toted the vehicle at a ninety nine Cadillac Cadillac Deville and I totaled it in forty one. And I had them like on a foot chase for like three or four hours. They had dogs, <laughs> helicopters, and they finally found me like four hours later and sprawled out on the ground. Oh man. Ninjas with masks and the dogs.
1: So what's the logic behind getting into a chase like that? Are you just trying to save yourself at all costs?
0: Well, yeah, and because like I said, I had dope in the car. Okay. You know what I mean? If I get caught with the dope or allegedly what could have been in the vehicle. You know, then that would have been a lot more time. You threw it out the window, allegedly.
1: <laughs>
0: so, but listen, back to this, back to the the last time I went to prison, where they hit in the car. Yeah, so
1: they hit in the car, bro. Yeah. I
0: wake up in the hospital in the ICU, bro. Three days later, with two officers in the room, cuffed to the bed. I wake up. Remember now, femurs shattered, all messed up. I'm banged up. I wake up and I see two cops in the room, and I'm like, "What happened? What happened?" And they're like, "You about to get life." So I'm like, what happened? And they refused to tell me what happened. So the nurse is coming in. I'm like, please tell me what happened. And she's like, you got in a car accident. So I'm thinking about my, my homies who I was with that night. I'm like, are they all right? Are they all right? She's like, who are you talking about? You're by yourself. I'm like, what about the person I hit? Are they okay? She's like, you didn't hit anybody. You hit a tree. So now I don't. I, I'm clueless, bro. You know what I mean? I'm cuffed. I'm scared. I know I'm going back to prison. So then the detective comes in the room. I think like the next day. So right when he walks in, I said, bro, I ain't got nothing to say. Good. I already know he's trying to like me to say something so he stays in the room and he's talking to the officers i think he was telling them the story trying to taunt me hopefully like i would like interject or say something but i'm just playing possum listening to him while he's talking to the cops and he tell and he, for the first time is when i hear everything and he says that story so i remember just laying in the hospital bed like dog i'm finna face like 25 years of life because in florida they got prr you know prison release act to where if you commit one of those crimes you're getting 15 out the gate you know, so I knew I was facing a lot of time that time.
1: And where was your, what about your mom? Is she coming to visit you? Is she getting you a lawyer while you're sitting in the hospital at all?
0: Um, yeah, I talked to my mom. Uh, she's just happy I was alive. I mean, shout out my, my mom. I love your mom. She's a real one. She held me down forever. Um, so, yeah, she got me a lawyer uh, while I was in the county jail. And, you know, of course, I think I had some money put up from, like, roofing or whatever. And I had one and only plea deal and it was the and this is how I know my case was ballparked dog that's how I know I didn't do what they accused me of because there was one and only plea deal which was 9 years and if I didn't take it the threat was they would hvo me habitual violent offender act me or pr me which enhances the points and I'm facing like I said at least a minimum 15 my charges was aggravated battery with like on a law enforcement officer aggravated battery with a deadly weapon on law enforcement officer aggravated battery on a civilian whatever so I'm facing 66 years just with these charges so the, they had me on my lowest permissible points, which was nine years. So how, I, that's how I knew out the gate that, man, I, I didn't gun him down and he didn't hit the hood like they said. He just got nipped in the leg, bro.
1: Was there any part of you that wanted to fight the case nah, to get the trial? No, definitely not. No, I know, no, no okay.
0: way. I know there's nothing to, there's nothing to win. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing to win with the body cams and the footage. The lawyer told me out the gate. You know how it is. It's politics, bro. It's all politics. The mm-hmm. lawyer told me out the gate, bro, we're not going to deposition any witnesses or any of the cops. He's like, I'm telling you now, you need to take this. your are lowest permissible or they're going to hang you. What do you want to do? It's not if you FaceTime. I couldn't beat anything. Uh, you know, I, Even though I don't remember it, I know I got in a high-speed chase and I still hit the cop in his leg. There's nothing to take the trial because if I lose that, I'm dead. So the lowest permissible, it sounded good to me, better than, I I woke up thinking I'm facing 25, you know, or at least, you know. So a nine piece, of course, that's a stretch, but it's better than getting my, your whole life taken from me. Yeah. So.
1: So you got the, the nine years, you sign a plea deal for nine years. Yeah. Where do you end up going?
0: Uh where not going to go. I went to Swanee the first time. I went to Swanee.
1: What's it called? Swanee?
0: Yeah, Swanee CI, yeah, man. The police run that. Swanee sucked.
1: <laughs> what do you mean the police run that?
0: Well, um, I got a crazy story about Swanee, actually, too, by the way. Police, is super strict. Um, like, every institution in Florida, I think it probably in every prison in America, you know, every prison has their own culture, you know? And even, like, sometimes even a dorm can have its own culture. You can go to the worst pound in the state, and this is the worst, most violent prison. But if you go to a good dorm, like, all right, you're all right. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, the culture. But then again, too, prison's prison is always the same. But there is some worse places than the others. I've been to, like, all the worst prisons in Florida. But Swanee's more ran by police. for my personal opinion, the best place to do time is gangland, where it's most violent, most chaotic. And, of course, it's uncomfortable to live in those type of environments. But normally, those type of pounds are ran by the inmates. So normally, when that's, like, the culture, it's normally better to do time because the respect level's high. So as long as the respect level's high, it's a good place to do time. Mm -hmm. But whenever you're at one of these sweet cupcake camps, whenever the police run it, the respect level's low. And then like, you know what I mean? It's not good time like that. So, Swanee, the police ran it, but it's crazy a story about Swanee, right? So, extortion is huge, you know, of course, you know, in any prison, I'm sure, in every state, but especially Florida, and especially sex offenders, you know? So, at Swanee, uh, I'm trying to leave out the names of the prisons because I go into all these prisons now. So, I'm sure it's not ran like that anymore. You know, shout out to all the administration and staff.
1: <laughs> but, you know, that's how you make change by telling these of course, types of, of course, stories, yeah, yeah. too. So, it's a positive thing because you're not throwing like a specific name under yeah, the bus. Yeah, of course, of course. That, that's what creates the change, yeah, of Course, you know? of
0: course of the reform yeah. so um, anyways whenever these inmates like a new bus would come full of like new cocks you know what I mean like new prisoners coming Cox, in they, they call, them. call them new cocks <laughs>
1: I've never heard of that. Yeah, one like, before.
0: you know, like, you know, fish or whatever. Some spots like in Florida, like a new inmate is a new cock.
1: So like a rooster or like a
0: goddamn I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> I just call them new cocks. You okay, know? so cocks. So they're green, you know, they don't know anything. It's their first time, their first day in prison or whatever. So uh, whenever the bus comes, the administration will go ahead and let like the inmates know like who the sex offenders were. You know, So they already got a list, all these boys who got sex offenses and what their charges were and details of them. So these guys who would get the list and they would work on their housing, it'd be like laundry guys normally or whatever. They, these guys were affiliated, gang affiliated, of course. So they would go ahead and they, they had like some type of agreement with other sets on the pound, whatever, as far as like they would share the extortion. You know what I mean? I'm sure it was favored one way or the other based upon who runs the pound. But they would somewhat kind of try to keep it fair with the extortion. So the moment that these guys, these sex offenders, get to their prison, or well, get to their bunk in their dorm, they already got somebody pulling up on them within the first five minutes. What's good. I mean, how about you sit them down. You know what I mean? However they choose to do it with the knife game or a couple guys with them and they let them know out the gate. Like, Because that was one prison that was like, the culture extortion, you know, so they let them know out the gate, like right when they got there, like, you got to pay the lift here, bro. Like we know your charges and they even let them know the details. Like, so you'll be safe, you know what I mean? But, you know, we expect this, 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 and this, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever, you know. So that's one thing about Swanee, man, they had extortion on lock.
1: As someone that had done time before going into this situation, do you have the upper hand, like in regards to politics Anything like because you're an experience Mm. in me, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, I would say just like, man, I tell people all the time, everybody's prison experience is different. It's based upon who you are and how you conduct yourself and how you do time. If you go to prison, if you gang affiliated and if you want to like bang out, you're going to have some conflict. You know what I mean? There's a lot of chaos going on, so you'll be in the midst of it. Or if you're a guy and you just want to like focus on you, get your education, stay out the way, you can do that too. Sometimes trouble can come towards you, but as long as you stand your stand your ground and know how to conduct yourself like a man. And I think for the most part, like you hit hitting on the head, I'd already done two prison bids. And I tell people all the time, you approach a long bid differently than you would a short bid. Because your short bid is like, "Ah, I'm just going to stay out the way. You know what I mean? It's let me make a home safe, stay out the way. You know what I mean? Stay focused and make it home. But whenever you have a long bid, it's like you're not even thinking about going home. You're worried about when the menu's changing or like how come they ain't calling a yard, you know, or, you know, the next pen pal you can get, the next female to write you or whatever. So whenever you're doing like a longer bid, you're more concerned with like reputation or how you conduct yourself. You can't let stuff slide per se, you know, because that stuff follows you, bro. And once again, you don't have to be the most gangstified and, you know, crazy person in the world, but the ultimate law of prison is respect. So you just can't let anybody disrespect you and you have to be assertive.
1: What are some things that, on the street we wouldn't find disrespectful Mm -hmm. but in prison you would an inmate would find disrespectful
0: bro I tell people all the time when people ask me like what's maybe some of the most difficult things coming home in the transition it's respect bro because when you do so long in prison we are like subconsciously institutionalized because we're used to living to A hostile environment to where the repercussions of disrespect is violence. That's not normal and that's not cool. But when when you live in prison for so long, that's what it's like. So out here, I remember when I first came home, I'm like, dog, people are so disrespectful out here, like crazy disrespectful. Because I started driving Uber. And like people, <laughs> so yeah, a former convict driving Uber, and I still drive too every once in a while. So uh, I remember like, you know, people getting an Uber ride and they can be disrespectful as hell. You know what I mean? It's like, dang. And like, I'm learning how to like bite my tongue and not be assertive or not confront it. But I would just say, man, attitude. Um, people got a unit on their face out here, bro. Like in prison, like the most gangstified, violent people are normally super respectful because they know what happens when they're disrespected. They're gonna they're gonna kill you, bro. You know what I mean? Or they're gonna let it be known you can never try them like that. So they're super respectful, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say out here, bro, like maybe it's like units, people like sizing people or like interjecting in conversations or being rude or just not being polite, not having manners, thank you, holding up the door, this little stuff. I don't know. It's maybe hard to pinpoint. But like in the moment, like you could feel it, or you could be like, "Dang, that was rude as hell."
1: Yeah, I did the Uber too, so I know what mm-hmm. you feel like. And, and uh, there's a big misconception that felons can't drive Uber. Mm. You a felon can drive Uber. I think it absolutely depends on the charges, mm-hmm. which I'm shocked you're able to do it. No offense Speaking because of that. <laughs> <chasing. Yeah. laughs> Hopefully the Uber isn't looking. Don't cancel me though. <laughs> but that 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 is pretty crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um the other big one is like Tinder that uh, it says in the bylaws, I guess, like in felons can't be on it. But I think it's oh, yeah. also it applies to like what type of crime you have. That's
0: super discriminative. Yeah. That can't be on Tinder. Yeah.
1: Something like that. Like if you had a I would understand conviction. like a
0: sex offense or something.
1: Exactly. Um, and people are rude as fuck yeah. driving an Uber. Yeah. Like, and I don't get the people that tip. Yeah. I mean, that don't tip.
0: Yeah.
1: You're going to, I'm going to take you to the airport. Mm. Like, and yeah. you're not going to tip and you got the corporate fucking car. <laughs> like I, I pick up these business guys yeah. and nothing, mm. not a penny. Not even your fucking money, bro, no, and you no. can't even send a tip. Yeah, it, it's wild. And then, even general, like I'm in my apartment building. Sometimes you hold the door open for someone. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah, won't
0: even, even look at you. You're in like the elevator. Supposed to hold it. Yeah, yeah.
1: not even a hello, uh, peasant. Yeah, like in prison, <laughs> you, you're walking out. You, you give a nod. You say hello. You yeah. know, unless you don't fuck with the person, but. Yeah. It's just the manners. But then when you go down south, everyone's so nice. Mm. You walk in, hey, hello, how are you? A conversation at the drive-thru. Here you go to fucking Dunkin' Donuts and you say Mm. hello. And they're like, what you want, bro? Yeah, what can I get for you? (laughs) Hi, how you doing? Like nothing. So you leave a tip, nothing sometimes. Mm. it just, man, I I get worked up about the manners and stuff because I try to be as nice. You don't know what someone's going through at the other end of the spectrum. So, you know, you just be nice. Karen's. That's where the term Karen's come from. You got all these Karens of the world.
0: Crazy Karens.
1: So when you um got this nine year sentence, did you know how much time you actually had to do on it going into that? Um, Or are you thinking like I got to do nine years?
0: Well, in the state of Florida, um, I already knew you get. I think it's like ten days a month of gang time. That's all you can get. You know, so um, I actually remember being so frustrated. I I got outside charge in confinement. Well, excuse me, in the county jail. Because um, I was just hurt, bro. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I was suicidal. I was really, I just, like, honestly thinking about killing myself in the county jail. Um, I remember I, I got in a fight over the phone. I've got a broken leg in the county jail. I'm in a wheelchair. I can barely walk. i got to learn how to rewalk again and all that. And the guy in the medical cell, like, double backed on the phone. And, like, he know I got next. And I'm trying to talk to my daughter or like my son or sometimes to my kids. So I snap and I just beat the brakes off the guy in the cell. And he like tells on me when he goes to visitation a couple of days later. And it hit me with outside charge battery of a detainee. So I'm in while I'm in confinement. I end up taking my plea. You know, I already knew I was get, getting it and taking it, but I actually get sentenced. And that's when it hit. And I remember being in the confinement cell, like staring at the sprinkler Knowing how people kill themselves in confinement cells, you know, with a bed sheet, you know, wrapping around their neck, doing the tight noose and doing over the sprinkler and killing themselves. And I remember it's my third time in prison, bro. I'm 23. You know what I mean? And uh, I couldn't get it right, dog. And I was so ashamed. or so disgusted with myself. I was going to miss the entirety of my children's lives, uh, childhood. Um, and I just felt like I was bringing everybody shame and I was doing nothing but hurting people, like people who love me. So I'm like, what's the point? You know what I mean? I'm just going to end it. And I remember, like, honestly thinking about killing myself, bro. But during that time, you know, praise be to God, I didn't. Um, you know, it's when, like, I counted out all my time and how much i do. And that's when I figured out, you know, just from counting my gang time, if I get all my gang time, I'll do seven years and eight months.
1: All right, so I have two questions for you yeah. about this. One, did you beat the brakes on this guy in a wheelchair? Were you in well, a wheelchair? No, I got out
0: the chair. Oh, I God. was like hopping around.
1: <laughs> I went uh, on crutches or something. And
0: he could walk fine. He had a broken arm. Well, say it's like handicapped people fighting. <laughs> uh, well, he, he could've he could have whooped me with this cast on if he was thinking about it, if he wasn't <laughs> willing to hurt his arm again.
1: That's gotta be a seed. Yeah. You gotta get that video.
0: <laughs> they should they should have gave me that video.
1: What uh what's it like to be handicapped in prison?
0: Well, I was in the county jail and they had they put you in the medical, um, it sucked that I mean, way. It was terrible because they didn't have canteen. You know, because everyone when there had like a lot. Of, people had either had broken limbs or they had diabetes, and they didn't want them on GP to get whatever canteen. So it sucked. Um, for me, like I said, I was on the wheelchair for five months. Um, That's and I, a long time. Yeah, and I was isolated in the um the medical thing. It sucked, bro. But for me, I had physical therapy like twice a day I was able to walk the hallways so that was my freedom I was just out there flirting with nurses and trying to hang out and talk and try to get extra bag lunches you know the <laughs> nurses are stealing like little insurers for me everyone loved me you know because they, they knew how much time I had and I'm out there just trying to laugh and kiki and hang out and get out the cell you know so. yeah
1: you're very personable yeah um, but you're also the guy that they gotta watch out for in prison because you're always schmoozing you mm. know working at an angle relaxing with all the guards and stuff mm. uh, you, you got a good way with words so yeah. I, I bet it fits you, but yeah. the guards got to look after, yeah. out for you. Yeah. Um, when you got that nine years and, and you were in the mentality, you said like you were, you know, trying to find yourself and, and figure things out and you want to be on the straight and arrow. Did mm. that make you feel like, you know, fuck this. I'm going back to how I was before. Yeah, like, yeah. What's the point? I'm trying to do good and it's not working.
0: Yeah, of course, bro. Because what happened was when I was 18 years old, I authentically gave my life to Jesus in the county jail. I got saved for real. My life has forever been changed. But the very next morning I got in a fight in the county jail. And I say that all the time because I believe that was a snapshot of how my spiritual journey would be. Super chaotic, super sporadic all over the place. And I'll be authentically following Jesus in prison being on fire for the Lord. And I come home and I go right back to the streets within a couple of weeks in a month. Selling dope, robbing, toting fire, you know what I mean? Tripping. But meanwhile I feel like it was fake because I wasn't who I was anymore. So of course, especially that third bid, it's like, dog, I felt so fake. I felt so flawed. I felt so hypocritical. And I was mad at myself and that God. So like I'm finna thug this one out. And like so when I went back into prison, the beginning of that last bid, smoking weed all the time, smoking K2. Trying to, My main aim was, like you said, was women officers. You know what I mean? Any attractive women officer, I'm at the flap trying to talk to them, trying to get food, trying to get sexual with them. So um, that was my intent at the beginning of my bid. But that didn't last for maybe about five months until the Lord just kept dealing with me and uh, eventually led me again to repentance and surrender.
1: Were you ever successful getting with the guard?
0: Nah. No. Uh-uh. You tried? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think uh, in Florida it's called gunning. Uh, I don't know what they call it, another stage. It's like that's it's, a
1: jerking off in front of the car. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me you're a gutter. Nah, uh, not, <laughs> not
0: a secretive gunner. What do you mean a secretive gunner? Uh, the, the secretive gunners are the ones that like hide and do it. You know what I mean? So we're like <laughs> they the get,
1: open gunner. You know, <laughs> no.
0: Well, well, no, you no, gotta no, explain no, yourself, it's man. It's so embarrassing, bro. I can't believe I'm even talking about this. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it a buck. Um it, but it, like in the Florida prison system they're call them like eaters, you know, as far as like the women officers who are like they they wanna see it. You know what I mean? They're, she's known for eating or whatever. So sometimes, like, whenever I was in uh, talking to certain female officers, you know, you don't have the opportunity or the access to bust off and have sex with them or whatever. Um, but, like, they'll, like, want to see you, like, jack off.
1: You know what I mean? So what, they poke their head into the cell or, like, look through the window?
0: Um, or they'll do it to where, like, they are looking because, like, in the an open bays they can look into the bathroom, you know what I mean, from, like, the officer's station. So, yeah.
1: So you were one of those guys that was just whacking nah, off no no no, of no, no, not, no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. Not all the time. Definitely not. Occasionally. It, it, it did did you ask me, did, did it happen? Yes, it happened. But I wasn't one of them crazy gunners. But, Definitely, right, not. Right, so Definitely I, not.
1: You're saying there's two, two types of gunners. There's the ones that do it to the woman and the woman don't want it. And then now there's mm, this Bro, new, it's
0: a sickness. There's
1: this new... Thing. This is the first time I heard of it, where the it's woman actually want what well, it's do, yeah. where you do it, you whack off, and the woman want it. Mm. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that sounds so terrible. That, you're you saying, it's consen- terrible. can a woman give consent to seeing another man whack off? I don't know. Yeah, it- listen, I'm talking about literally <laughs>
0: the, the girl that I'm speaking about. Like yes. that's like in conversation.
1: Let me see uh, it. Yeah,
0: unless you wanna I
1: wanna see it. Dude, this is, might be the craziest thing I've heard all year. Yeah. The years just forget it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but listen, look, about gunning, bro. Dog, there's this bro, listen, it's a sickness in the chain gang. I'm talking you got some perverts, bro. Like they master gunning to like the, the tenth degree. Listen, so I not heard stories now of guys like cause you got the coats, you got the jackets. So some police they're on beat. Like they won't like if they see if a woman officer sees a guy like with his jacket on with a clothes and his hands down or like in his popping out she already know that he's gunning so she's gonna get on him but there's this bro there's this guy and he's known for this he would take like a piece of string or whatever and somehow he would have this thing to where like the string would go down like his shirt and like I guess he would tie something around like his his dick you know and to where he could just be pulling on the string and he would just be standing at the officer station bro listen crazy stories
1: dude this That's is the most sick, ridiculous thing I've ever seen yeah. Uh, but some guys get handled for doing this. Like they'll get they'll get jumped. Or oh, of course, beat if they're up. doing
0: like yeah, like some guys they're wilding out. They'll go like in the day room, the non
1: consent gunners. Yeah,
0: they'll just stand on top of a bench and they'll just pull out in front of the lady. You know what, what are I mean? the or, men
1: doing? Are the men like get the fuck out of here Yeah, some
0: guys will snap on them. Some guys they'll do it like secretively, you know. But some guys who wild out like that, yeah. Normally they'll get like the like the dorm, the the guys will get them from around there. Like because that's disrespectful. That's crazy. You no know, one's trying to bend the corner while you are getting some hot water. For your soup, and you see some guy on the table with his dick out, you know, beating off to the lady.
1: So, when you're doing it, are you like, is the other woman like making gestures? Like, is she like giving you something <laughs> back, or is she just <laughs> staring there with her mouth open? Like, the specific
0: like, uh, situation I'm speaking about is yeah, like, you, you gotta got, break it down for the viewers, yeah, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, why okay, don't okay. you,
1: you gotta explain to yourself. So, take it right. from the top, like, of how the interaction goes down to the, to the end.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just you know, a continual conversation with the officer, you know, what I mean, as far as and then like you letting her know. Like, of course, like, well, I'm trying to, what's up? Can we slide to the bathroom? You know, and she's like, you know, it's can, it's hot. They're watching me. Blah, blah, blah. So they have like the showers in the open bay. And like I said, they can see into the showers in the open bay from the officer station. So that's normally like a classic move if the officer, you know, is a eater What the guy say, you know. So, um, you know, that's me asking like, what's up? Can I get the shower? And, she, you know, she's like, yeah, well, I think she, before she had told me she wanted to see my dick. She wanted to see it So just that You know Can I get the shower Of course And then while I'm in the first shower She's looking Watching it sound, Listen
1: now. It sounds. I apologize it's, it's, it's to everybody. Look, I'm not a pervert, man. All right, please. No, it sounds better because you pre it with. You guys had an initial conversation. Of course, yeah. Now, now, now explain that these other gunners, the mm. non-consent gunners, they just there's no pre-conversation. They yeah. just pulled it down and and, and whack it. Yeah,
0: and they're just shooting. They're just <laughs> mad gunners. And so, like I said, it's a sickness, bro, and it's disgusting.
1: But you would still label label yourself as a gunner, or do you have a different Nah, company? definitely not. <laughs> I, I hope <laughs> not. Do
0: you think I fit that category as a gunner? No. You, just, you
1: explain this is a little bit different. This is like sexting without the <laughs> without the the texting part. Yeah, this
0: is like yeah. in
1: person sexting.
0: It's like sec- in live sex cam. Yeah, kinda. live
1: sex. Well, yeah. I don't know how you would call it. Yeah, sex cam. Something like that. Yeah, interesting. Man. Crazy. <laughs> All right, look, hold on. Wild. I did yeah.
0: think of another story there while we were talking. Yeah, um, let's hear it. Especially because you're asking about booty bandits, right? So growing up in prison, like I remember, I was legit. You know what I mean? When I started off in prison, not only at JIT camp, but then even going to adult camp. You know, I'm young, 19 years old, so I'm JIT. So I remember, like, the old heads would call me, yo, JIT. But then, you know, growing up in prison now, like, I'm a mature man, so you called other guys JIT. And then just, like, being in prison for so long, learning the ropes, understanding how prison works and the politics and all that. Like I said, I was never gang affiliated. I never wanted to be, I had no opportunities to be. I was genuinely following Jesus and my prison journey was a missionary experience, able to share the gospel apart from me. Falling and gunning or <laughs> consensually gunning. Let me stop. Um, you know, just genuinely seeing, you know, God impact people's lives and trying to help guys get out the street lifestyle and that thought narrative and help them find their purpose through faith in Jesus. But also too, like you see like a young buck come in, you can tell he's green, you know what I mean? So you kind of want to look out for bro, like tell him like the laws of the land and like what to do and what not to do. But there's also a balance of like kind of staying in your own lane and not like treading on other people's turf especially when they're already marked. So this story, I'll never forget. I think it's my second bit, and I was actually about to go home, so I really didn't even want to say nothing. So this Jit, they put him right next to me. He's in the bunk next to me. Young white dude, and uh, he's super cool. I can just tell with his personality. I'm not really friendly, I'm not really talking, so I can tell he's a cool dude. Anyways, I see immediately his first day in the dorm. This old booty bandit, is a no booty bandit, immediately pulls up on him, sitting on his bunk, being friendly, gives him a couple cigarettes, you know what I mean? So you already know he's making his move. If any convict knows this or anybody in the dorm, he doesn't know. You know, like I said, I'm going home. I'm trying to stay out of everybody's lane. I'm just trying to do me. So I see this and I'm like, oh, I want to say something to him, you know, but I don't. But it's, I'm going to see how he conducts himself. I'm going to see what he does. I'm going to see how he maneuvers. So time goes on and now I see the jig going to his bunk. I'm like, dang, bro, don't do that. You know, so I'm thinking this in my head. So time goes on, maybe like a week or so. And he's like athletic, like myself. I'm a workout, you know, buff. So he's working out as well. And he's always like talking to me. So then one day he's like, "Bro, can I holler at you on the yard?" I think he started working out with me in the dorm because I always keep like a big, like a whole bunch of books, you know, weight bags. So I think he started working out with me. We started talking a little bit more. And um, he said, "Bro, I gotta holler at you." I was like, of course, what's up? He's, I'm gonna tell you on the yard. So when we hit the yard, he said, "Bro," he's like, "You know that older guy who always pulls up on me?" So I'm, I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Bro, I think he's got like some." Funny intended. I said, yeah, bro, I've been like waiting for you to identify that. He's a booty bandit, bro. He's coming for your butt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you got to see that. He's like, I know it's weird. Like I can tell. Da, da, da. I said, "So he's like, he's like, so what do I do? You know, he's asking me what do I do? I said, listen, bro, you just got to freaking be direct. Like, yo, I'm not friendly. You know what I mean? Like, don't be disrespectful because he's going to, this is a booty bandit who's also a convict to where if you disrespect him, he might put a knife in you. You know what I mean? Or he might, because he's a young white guy, and he doesn't look that intimidating. He kind of looks a little passive and a little weak. So I'm like, I just got to be assertive, bro. I'm like, no disrespect, but I'm just not friendly, bro. I'm not looking for friends. You know, I'm just focused on me doing time. So I tell him what to say and what to do. So he's like, all right, all right, all right. You know, so, and we're going to lunch, I think it was like later on that day, or maybe it was dinner. Yeah, it was probably dinner, because we had a wreck after yard at lunch. So we're going to dinner. And I'm thinking he's gonna do it by himself. You know what I mean? Like you should, you know, not bring me into it. I'm about to go home. I'm trying to get no conflict with his old head behind behind nothing. Not that he's like a threat or nothing, but still, handle that yourself. So he's like starts walking with me. He's waiting for me to come to the door. And apparently the booty bandit was waiting on him too to try to walk with him to like chow hall. So he while I'm bending the door, right when I'm walking out the door, he's standing at the door and the old the old booty bandit's like kinda walking up on the side of me, like trying to pull up on him. And out of nowhere, the, the booty bandit says something to him. And the guy goes, get out of my face, bro. You know, he kind of like snaps. Like, I ain't friendly. I don't want no friends. And he did everything I told him not to do. He just took it to 10. So, uh, and then the freaking booty bandit. Now, nah, he nuts up. He's like, what, shit? He's like, I'm trying to hand you the right hand of fellowship. You're going to disrespect me. To look. Talking about getting his knife. And anyways, but the whole point I was getting at as far as like the booty bandit story, um, bro, like, Booty bandit is definitely a thing, you know, in any prison system in in any state. Um, But that was just a crazy story that I remember of seeing it happen with somebody else and just trying to, like, help bro, like, navigate through it. You so know?
1: what ended up happening to the guy? Did he get the booty taken?
0: No, no, no. He was good. He okay. left him alone. He didn't He so didn't run him down. So
1: basically follow e. I and Actually, no, right <laughs> then.
0: No, right then I told him because he was nutting up. The uh the booty bandit was trying to fight him right there in that moment. So then that's why I interjected because he, like, I think he knew what he was doing. He waited for me to, like, kind of be there, which I didn't want. So uh, I was like, man, old head, chill, bro. Just respect the man. He said he didn't want no friends, bro. Leave him alone. You got to respect that, dog and uh, he's like man no bro dude. and I said bro chill and he just left him alone
1: so how, follow your advice to stay away from the booty bandits in prison basically is what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: so I, and that started some random story so, so
1: since we're the prison topic you got a very interactive episode for us you got all oh, these yeah, yeah. Prison, you want to see the stuff yeah man? you got some prison knickknacks for sure, I, I came for down sure. to grab you you're like here grab the bag yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> alright so look man one yeah. thing I'm a writer and uh, we can't I also got to do the full story about what I do now at prisons right yeah of course we'll get to that but um, man And I'm a writer I'm a rapper But I think before I started rapping Rapping um, I learned how to like I, I did poetry But anyways I journaled My whole 12 years bro Listen This is just one This is just one example I literally took this From a box This big At my apartment That I sent home I journal Every single day Look at this And look how small The wording is
1: Oh wow I wish I had handwriting like that. You
0: know what I mean? I did I wrote that small to say paper.
1: That's crazy. You know
0: so I would journal every day and this was really like a place for me to vent. And to deal with things and really to process things. Number one, I'm sharing how like God's dealing with me and like, kind of changing my thought process and my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also like share and document what God was doing and other people around me and how God was using me to serve other people. But it was a place for me every night to process my days. And I think this is super helpful for me, how to deal with my time and how to like navigate mentally through my journey and process things properly. What I could have done better, what I could have done different, you know what I mean, at anything. So I'm probably going to publish this one day I got a whole freaking huge locker full of like prison memoirs. You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> that's great, man. And of course,
0: you got the uh, the all the pitch, the classic Chang Gang picture books. And actually, this right here is the um, that's the mugshot, and that's actually the uh, <laughs> You're newspaper. Looking wild, bro. That's the newspaper article of whenever I accidentally hit the police officer with the car. Okay. So you know, you got all the picture books. You know, so these are the classic. All this is classic chain game. Well, you could, buy, you could buy the books on commissary, right? And, yeah, then yeah, you, and you, just you put, put your it own together in okay. it. Of course. Okay. And then uh, Of course, I keep all this, man. I'm super sentimental and just yeah, like Yeah, what does it what
1: does it mean to you to keep everything? I keep
0: everything just because, bro, it's like my experience cuz in there is gold. You know what I mean? So like why why would I get rid of it now? Mm-hmm. I hold on to it and it's like like I say I kind of like it's symbolic for me of what I experienced and what I went through and how that was a pivotal moment in my life in which God used to transform my life. I love that. And of course, you know, once again, it's all mail. Got boxes upon boxes of mail. You know what I mean? And then lastly...
1: Those are all letters that people sent you. Yeah, Mm yeah. And I
0: would send them home. I didn't keep them all the years. I would send them all home because I didn't want to get rid of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to send, I actually still have, I threw out a lot, but I still have a lot of the writings that I wrote in prison when I was in the shoe and stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, send those all home and I got in a little binder. It's in my office right now.
0: Okay, there you go. And then the classic canteen bag, you know, you got the ramen in there.
1: That's probably one of the smaller net bags I've seen. Normally they're a little bit bigger. Right? Yeah,
0: this is an old, 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 old one. Old yeah. school, okay. Yeah, yeah, this is an old one. I see
1: you got the prison mug. Oh yeah Was that the issue My issued, coffee cup They issued that to you or? They don't
0: sell these This is gold in the chain gang
1: But was that for free Cause I know like We would Everyone uh-huh. would get a mug
0: They would sell these This is gold yeah. And they don't sell them no more
1: Look it's like stained with coffee Look at that see That's how a lot of guys Coffee cups were though They would get stained
0: You purposely don't clean them Yeah you, Let that oil sit bro Yeah exactly Let the oil I mean, sit yeah, they That's the clean yak them. That's the yak man wow. You know what's funny too See how it's cracked on the sides mm-hmm. It got cracked from getting transferred so much It would be at the, my bag You know what I mean It would crush from the weight of stuff but i would still drink out of it even in there i would just make like little coffee shots straight oil yak you know what i mean and just sip on it and just keep refilling it <laughs> so a
1: commissary like bag like that filled with all that stuff how much does that run you at the store
0: bro listen nowadays can you believe one soup goes for a dollar 6 oh shit now
1: i remember it was 30 cents 35 cents 40 cents actually i think
0: yeah now bro they're skyrocketing the prices dog so what's
1: like a mackerel cost cuz those were a dollar probably right? like a couple of dollars it's crazy yeah prices are going up man
0: yeah, man. Um,
1: Hopefully they up the spending limits.
0: <laughs> bro, it's insane, bro, because it's like you used to be able to fill up a whole bag and survive. You know what I mean? If you spent $25 at a store, you would survive for like a week depending upon how you ate. Yeah. But now, bro, you get $25. That's just your hygiene. Yeah. You ain't even got no money for food. You
1: know? So, what year did you end up getting out of prison?
0: I got out in 2021.
1: So, that was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I've the been peak out of two COVID. years,
0: a little bit over two years.
1: Are you still on probation? or
0: No, nah, um thank God. I was on parole. Well, in Florida, they don't have parole. They got CRD, which is like controlled release or whatever. You okay. get out on your gang time. So, you're pretty much doing your full 100%, but now it's on supervision with your good time. Mm-hmm. So, I got out and I was on CRD, I think, for a year and eight months. No so issues. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah! That's what I wanted to bring up. I was a guy was in cuffs, dog. I was doing Uber. Check this out. I was doing Uber one night, and I had a ten o'clock curfew. You're not allowed to leave the county or the state, and you got a ten o'clock curfew. So while I'm driving Uber, it's not even ten. O'clock, but I had permission from my CRD officer to be out for business purposes. So. I'm doing Uber. I got a driver. I got a rider in the back now. And somehow, like a police officer gets behind me with his undercover gang task force. I don't know this. They pulled me immediately. I already knew something was funny because right when he pulled me, I put my window down. He said, uh, Mr. Testa, he already knew my name. It was, of course, the plate. He's like, you Step out of the car real quick. I already knew. I'm like, dang. And I'm scared because I'm on freaking parole, CRD. So I step out of the car. He walks me to the back of the vehicle, grabs my wrist, puts me in cuffs. He said, What you doing out past 10, bro? You know what I mean? You know you're on par- uh, you know you're on parole, bro. Like this is a violation. You know I gotta take you in. I'm like, sir, listen. My parole officer gave me permission. I'm allowed to be outside past ten for business purposes. He's like, well, do you got that written? Do you got like something to show that? I'm like, no. You know what I mean? Like I I, I got his number. Can you call him? So um, they get my phone. I tell him his name, and they're calling him. So one law officer takes my phone. They go back to the other squad car. But there's like four cop cars now. And it's like some, I think they're doing something with some like gang because they're all like gang task force. So now they're sitting there and uh, I had the opportunity to, now I'm like trying to save myself, like save face. I'm like, listen, but it's also a great opportunity for me to share my story and how God transformed my life. I'm like, listen, bro, I'm doing great now because they're looking at my charges. And especially when I got violent charges against law enforcement officers, they can tend to take that personal. I'm like, dog, God transformed my life in the chain gang. Now i go back to the streets with the gospel. We're impacting the streets and we're impacting the community to help guys get out the street lifestyle. So anyways, they're calling on my parole officer. He's not picking up. Thank God they get a hold of my supervised release like, head office, like person in the office. And they said, just let him go, have him check in in the morning and we'll double check with this parole officer who's allowed to be out. So thank God they take me for the first time in my life, bro. The police let me out of cuffs and the police are actually thanking me and commending me for my service in the community. And they shake my hand. You know what I mean? So I believe in that moment, God was like showing me, cause I'm doing great. You know what I mean? Like walking faithful unto the Lord and walking in God's purpose for my life. God was showing me like, despite whatever opposition that I faced, like, yo, I got you.
1: Why do you so, think they pulled you over?
0: Uh, they probably just ran my place, honestly.
1: See, that's like the issue I have with like probation and whatnot, because it's all about trying to get a fresh start. Yeah. But in your instant, you got instant, you got pulled over. You had a passenger in the car. That could have been the end of your Uber career right there. Mm-hmm. That passenger, what happened to passenger?
0: Oh, you know what's funny too. While they had me in cuffs, one of the officers went to my car and was tapping on the window. And she opened the door. She's like, "Lady, I'm sorry, but you can just go ahead and cancel the ride. We're gonna have him. You know, for a second, we don't know what's going on. But he even told the lady, give him five stars. He didn't do anything. and just misunderstanding. So that was kind of cool on his end.
1: Yeah, but you get the wrong person. They're putting no Uber driver got yeah. arrested. This yeah. and that. That's yeah. not good.
0: Yeah, not at all, bro. Listen, I've been pulled. No exaggeration. I was telling somebody, I just got pulled the other day. I get pulled all the time bro It's
1: the beard man
0: I always get pulled
1: You kind of look like A skinnier DJ Khaled <laughs> And did you see the I, I know you said You don't really watch the episodes uh, But the clips We had um, that guy Chip Williamson uh, With the beard He had like the really The dyed, Spanish guy yeah, yeah. yeah He was He's a little bit bigger than yeah. you Same look Dude mm. the beards go I'm telling you yeah. it's, it's all about the beards Yes sir <laughs> Yeah that's so, awesome Yeah, dude. I
0: always get pulled, bro And I think, honestly They just want to look in the vehicle They just like want to get a visual
1: Really? Yeah Just to make so, sure no one's kidnapped I don't it. know
0: Like they, I get pulled all the time And I never got one ticket Wow like, I've probably been pulled No exaggeration About eight, nine times Within a two-year period
1: So what's life like for you now?
0: Yeah, man So while I was incarcerated, man Not only did God transform my life But God gave me a vision For my release I've always been a rapper. It was just like a way for me to vent about my life and things I was going through. I've always been very expressive. I've always been a communicator. So I just put it in music. So while I was incarcerated, the guy began to transform my life, you know, in prison, like all the jitter bugs, they'd be in there freestyling, beating on the locker, beating on the wall. So God would stir me up to go in the midst of it. And plus these are all my homies too. And I would freestyle, but I'll rap about like the gospel, but I'll put it in a way to where I'm still rapping about the streets, but how God delivered me out the streets. You know, and like I seen how I really affect people and people like, dang. And plus two guys using me while I was in prison. I planted four different inmate led churches at four different prisons while I was incarcerated. I was preacher, man. You know what I mean? That's who I was while I was incarcerated. For me, my prison journey was full time missionary journey and it was for real. You know what I mean? It was authentic. It was genuine. So not only was I walking to my purpose while I was incarcerated, but God showed me upon release that God, and it was through one of my best friend's death, he was shot and killed. That morning, the following morning after I found out I was mad at God, I was upset, God laid on my heart this vision that he was gonna use music as a platform to reach the streets with the gospel. And uh, the ministry is called Block Hustle and the music is Block Hustle Entertainment. So my first release whenever, my first song that I released when I came home, like my third month out, Got me signed by the second biggest Christian hip-hop label in the nation, and I went viral actually at work release before I was even released, because um, at work release you go they release you from like a minimum security prison to go to work and come back with like an ankle monitor. Uh, they give you phones, but not smartphones, but I had an iPhone put in, in my locker at work, and I'm doing social media and I'm <laughs> killing the game. I'm like documenting, bro listen, I've been documenting my entire prison journey while I was incarcerated having my homie record prison phone calls, recording videos off Jack's or off like the prison kiosk. Smart, yeah. Yeah, so I'm filming my documentary right now. The day of my release, I had a camera crew at the gate.
1: That's awesome. So we've been
0: documenting my entire journey and transition home.
1: If I could go back and change anything, that would be it. Like Mm -hmm. to document the whole legal process, cameras in the courtroom, Mm -hmm. uh, prison, more documented about that. But I never thought that prison would be the thing that I would be focused on and Never. turn into something. I always Never. thought it was the nightclub stuff because it's cool. Yeah. Kid owns a nightclub, this and that. Yeah. But it's not relatable to the average person. Yeah. Prison, this experience that not everyone gets to go through is very relatable to a lot of people because so many people are affected by it. Of course. What do you think would be your message to yeah. the viewers, the listeners, maybe even to your old self, to your teenage mm. self? What do you want the kids that were your age that grew up the way you did and and you know made those wrong decisions? What do you want that message to get to them to be about?
0: Yeah, I would just say to everybody, number one, that like, yo, God doesn't create trash. You know, God creates royalty. He creates us as good. And not even to sound like cornball, kumbaya, cheesy Christian, but that's real, bro. You know, like despite whatever chaos or chaotic or traumatic experiences that we face as a child or coming up or no matter what cards we've been dealt, God has a huge calling purpose upon our life. And when we discover that, and from my perspective, I believe that's only through faith in Jesus and the sacrifice. And when we walk a lifestyle surrendered to him, God has a purpose for us. And when we commit all that unto him, bro, we'll live out our dreams. In the midst of a prison bid, when I'm on my lowest low, I had the ultimate peace, fulfillment, and contentment. And it's because of my faith in Christ. So my encouragement to anybody out there in the streets or the youth or whoever is we never truly identify who we are as people. And our purpose for our life until we tap into the one who created us. So that would be my ultimate, you know, um, call to action, encouragement for everybody. And like now, how it's all full circle. You said with the whole prison thing, I never thought about getting out and going back into a prison. I'm sure I would with ministry, but I didn't think it's going to be a thing. So when I come home, bro, like I'm just thinking it's cool that my music's being heard in the prison system on the tablets. But now because like a podcast in prison that I'm featured on, shout out to Mama Eve and Real Vita Nation. Um, like I'm viral in the prison system to where I can go to a prison in Nebraska or a prison in Cali or Florida or in New York or wherever, and they know who I am and they know my story because of the music and because the podcast, right? And it's crazy that God will use our stories as redemptive stories to give inspiration and use us as a template to anybody doing time. We're convicts, bro. We're all the same. No one's better than nobody. God's doing it in us. He can do the same thing in you and more 10 times, So to me, it's beautiful to be able to go back in there and speak life to them boys and encourage them that that place of incarceration, that place of brokenness, that can be a breeding ground where God can transform our life radically, give us vision and purpose, and not only in there, but upon release as well. You know?